0: Hi, I'm Laura Flanders, and this is The Laura Flanders Show, the program that seeks to raise radical spirits by interviewing forward-thinking people from the worlds of arts, entrepreneurship, and activism. May Day, in much of the world, it's a workers' holiday celebrating the achievements of the organized labor movement, like the eight-hour work day and the weekend. It's been a day of labor protests going back over 200 years, but also a day of defiance going back even further, and celebration of spring, rebirth, community. And defense of the commons. On today's program, we celebrate the resilience of activists and their demands, which haven't changed all that much over the centuries. And we feature some of the actors behind this year's May Day from beyond the moment, across Movement Coalition and others.
1: After the election, I was looking for something utilitarian that people could actually get engaged with that was connected to what I thought was more of a long-term perspective of the issues they're going to be
0: facing. Agunda Okayo, writer, activist, and founder of Hater Free New York City. Boycotts traditionally have always been a great way to
1: affect high halls of power where we're looking at the BDS approach with Palestine, or you're looking at... uh, the boycott of apartheid South Africa, or you're looking at the Montgomery bus boycott. So for me, it was a kind of vehicle for social justice that was obvious to kind of uh, tap into for the work that I felt has to be long-term. At the moment with Hater Free NYC, essentially what we're doing is, we have a, a boycott campaign that we have on the website where we're going off of a model where we have a hater of the month, specifically targeting business interests connected to the Trump administration including his cabinet.
2: Danos
0: un
3: corazón, para Danos un Posecha is a nonviolent movement that is fighting for the permanent protection, dignity, and respect for all immigrants.
0: Tayas Márquez, volunteer organizer with Cosecha.
3: Cosecha launched in February of 2016, so we're only about a year old. We want to create a seven-day strike where immigrants don't go to work, they don't go to school, and they don't buy. And we recognize that our power lies in our labor and consumer. Our first principle, our first and foremost, is that we want to be grounded in the pain of the immigrant community, so recognizing that what we're calling for a strike, especially a seven-day strike, is a huge risk. Right now we have 24 volunteer organizers, um, and we have visited about 40 cities. We realize that like, to really make May 1st real, uh, we sort of have to be there for our community as much as possible, support them. And so we've really been supporting cities that we've been visiting in doing outreach in their own community, and especially to do actions. Uh, where it's either like something small like a banner drop or five people like choose a highway and they just drop a banner to salsa shutdowns where there's like 50 people just dancing in the middle of a grocery store.
0: Salsa shutdown! Uprilz
2: was founded in 1966. It was founded by Puerto Rican activists who were moving into Sunset from Red Hook to meet the unmet needs of the Puerto Rican community. Elizabeth Yampierre,
0: executive director of UPROSE.
2: I've been here since 1996, and it was in 1996 that the organization became a social justice organization that started also working on environmental justice issues. UPROSE is a member of the Climate Justice Alliance. Our cohort is called the Our Power campaign. It's basically made up of frontline communities that are at the frontline of the crisis, but are also moving for what we call Just Transitions. Just Transitions is an economic framework that basically moves you away from fossil fuel extraction and to regenerative energy. So we're engaged in operationalizing Just Transitions, which means anything from um, trying to get these three community-owned solar projects on the ground to trying to make sure that we can have some uh, an industrial hub that builds for offshore wind. Sunset Park has uh, the largest significant maritime industrial area in New York City. And in the industrial sector, uh, we've got blue-collar uh, manufacturing industrial jobs. And so it is the largest walk-to-work community in New York City. It has, in some ways, uh, helped us retain the working class character of the neighborhood because people work here, uh, they live here, they're able to support and raise a family here uh, because of those blue collar jobs. What we saw happen in the last three years was that Jamestown came into Sunset Park with this view of taking the industrial sector and turning it into the next Chelsea, the next Williamsburg. And so we immediately started uh, reaching out to them and trying to figure out how we can get them to agree uh, to start building for climate adaptation, for resilience, for renewable energy, for the kinds of what we think are sort of new uh, industrial jobs that not only address the needs of the community uh, and, and, and stimulate the economy locally, but also address the climate adaptation needs of, of, the, of, the, of the region. We
0: have come now, too far, we won't turn, won't turn
4: around. Turn
2: around. We'll
0: we flood the turn streets turn with justice, with justice we are we are
5: sanctuary, I think, is it's an interesting concept and it's a quite open concept. Michelle Castaneda, volunteer at the New Sanctuary Coalition. It's up to us to figure out to put in the policies that make sanctuary meaningful. It also comes from this long tradition of spaces, houses of worship, particularly being kind of the last place of refuge, um, and the strongest place of refuge, uh, for people who are persecuted and people who are vulnerable.
3: Millions of people suffer the pain and the anguish of not being able to live with dignity. That's why today we come to you in front of this symbolic wall
5: So some of our main projects that are ongoing are the Accompaniment Project. We pair you up with somebody who's going to be going into 26 Federal Plaza, which is where the immigration courts are, for some kind of hearing or to do a check-in. If you have an order of deportation and you have to go present yourself and then this officer will determine whether to tell you, okay, come back in a month, come back in five months, or, you know, I'm taking you away. That serves some practical purposes, like, you know, helping make sure that all the forms that we need to have are there, helping make sure if there's any irregularities that um, we, we are keeping track or anything like that. But then it also serves um, another kind of function that's more difficult to describe, and that is, I think, what happens when Somebody who is used to going through a humiliating machinery of the state system alone has people by their side. And on the flip side of that, what happens when someone who's more privileged, who's a citizen who's used to interacting with the state at a certain level of, a certain expectation of a certain level of respect, timeliness, transparency, What happens when they, by walking with um, an undocumented person, feel firsthand the way that that person is being treated?
0: You're listening to The Laura Flanders Show, the place where the people who say it can't be done take a back seat to the ones who are doing it. This week, a special report on the cross-movement organizing that went into this year's Mayday rallies May 1st. If we're going to shift the culture from consumerism, competition and war, we're going to need media that's invested in that shift, not the sort that's funded by the oil and missile companies. So will you help us stay free by becoming a contributing member of this program? We've launched a May Day to Memorial Day membership drive with a $20,000 goal. Will you help us meet it? Find out how, and how we're planning to thank you
4: at lauraflanders.com. And thanks. I joined uh, Iraq Veterans Against the War in 2013, and this was after a writing group uh, called Warrior Writers, which uh, gets veterans to discuss their experiences. Um, it was just a lot of like you know shame around like how my service, you know, during my deployment, interfered with like these people's freedoms. Claude S. Copeland, Jr., member and co-chair Iraq Veterans Against the War. We've been doing what's a a campaign called Drop the Military Industrial Complex, showing the connections that militarism is present in, you know, around racial injustices, you know, around police brutality, and even like the 1033 program where, you know, they sell military-grade weapons to local police forces. We want to stop militarism, but like right now, you know, how that looks on the ground realistically in our local communities, especially for, you know, frontline communities, how internationally, like understanding, you know, uh, the investment in the military and the actions that it takes overseas divest from, you know, like our communities around, you know, health issues, housing issues and education. I Veterans Against the War is a member of the It Takes uh, Roots Coalition and um, they became a member of the Beyond the, the Moment larger coalition. And we had a lot of intersections around racial justice, economic justice, but like looking at it broadly through climate justice, we want to understand how we can help intersect our work into those other areas that beyond the moment has like taken an umbrella of like like 30 or more social justice and racial justice groups.
0: Agunda Okayo, founder of Hater Free New York City,
1: I was really excited to participate in the town hall uh, that was put together largely by BYP 100, Bhaji, which works around uh, black immigrants in America, and a million hoodies. On the anniversary of Martin Luther King's Beyond Vietnam speech, where he was trying to connect the America's geopolitical interests in terms of war in Vietnam abroad to the struggles people were dealing with here in the United States.
4: Over the past two years, as I have moved to break the betrayal of my own silences and to speak from the burnings of my own heart, as I have called for radical departures from the destruction of Vietnam.
1: We wanted to kind of call back his words and also celebrate the anniversary by thinking about what he might make of this moment if he was thinking about America's kind of local and global impact, right? I was trying to offer um, a very clear connection between how America's policies in the United States today have direct impact on the world, and then also how that can have reverberating effects back to America.
2: We are organizing a series of events in Washington D.C. both for the People's Climate March and for May Day. Elizabeth
0: Yam Pierre, Executive Director of Uprose.
2: Uh, we're also part of GGJ, which is the, the Global Grassroots uh, Justice Alliance, and uh, and so all of these um, alliances and coalitions that we're part of are organizing a series of actions.
3: We chose May first because it is the it, it represents workers.
0: Darius Marquez volunteer organizer with Cosecha.
3: But we really wanted to make it about immigration because the workers that are most vulnerable and most invisible are undocumented immigrant workers, the immigrants that pick our vegetables and our fruits and construct our buildings and clean our hotels and our rooms. It's really symbolic for us to have May 1st really be about immigrants. When we use an economic lens, Uh, We are shifting the narrative from do immigrants deserve to be here to this country needs its immigrant workforce. And if immigrants were to stop working, if we were to all be deported or to all leave, the entire economy would fail. And so to us, we're using our economic uh, power as leverage to really win permanent protection, because the more the more strikes we do the longer we do it for the more desperate people in power become because they so desperately need out, us as a workforce a day for workers solidarity is absolutely vital
0: michelle castaneda volunteer at the new sanctuary coalition
5: historically and today one of the main ways of keeping keeping the power of labor down has been by dividing um, dividing the working class making it seem as if That, like, the immigrant laborer is the enemy of the working class citizen laborer.
4: And don't forget, we're taking tremendous numbers of jobs from people that were born in this country. And you understand that because when you look at the roles, you have 100 million people that potentially want to work and they can't
5: find jobs. And so once we start recognizing what we have in common, what we have to gain in common... Then we, then we become extremely powerful. I think the
1: issue is in this moment of resistance. Agunda Okayo of Hater Free New York City. I think everyone is getting to a point where they're thinking about where is the power? And I don't think the United States is often engaged in conversations around the power that money has in terms of undermining the authority of poor people, women, people of color, other marginalized groups. And that has to do, I think, with a larger challenge in this society around discussing class, discussing capitalism, uh, discussing economic justice, and you can take that all the way even to reparations. I'm interested in more recognizing the systemic problem and being instrumental in terms of supporting uh, the resistance in that way.
5: People do not often make the connection between brutal tactics of immigration enforcement and exploitation of immigrant labor.
0: Michelle Castañeda, volunteer at the New Sanctuary Coalition.
5: That connection needs to be drawn, the way that terrorizing the immigrant community is a way of enforcing conditions of exploitation and promoting them in so many in so many industries whether we're going to talk about agriculture domestic labor, uh, the restaurant and service industries. Across the board, these things are going hand in hand right now. So how is this horrific enforcement climate already creating the conditions for kind of an unregulated exploitation of immigrant labor? And how has it done that historically?
0: You're listening to the Laura Flanders Show, the place where the people who say it can't be done take a back seat to the ones who are doing it. You're listening to a special report on the cross-movement organizing that went into this year's May Day rallies, May 1st. If we're going to shift the culture from consumerism, competition and war to respect for our fellows in the planet, we're going to need media that's invested in that shift. So will you help us by becoming a contributing member of this program today? We've launched a May Day to Memorial Day membership drive. Find out how you can sign up and what thank you gifts we're making available, especially for you, at lauraflanders.com. And thanks. Ria Trivedi, legal representative at the Immigrant Rights Center, New York University School of Law, speaking at the Immigrant Rights Rally March 9th, 2017, in Foley Square, New York.
3: A lot of things are happening today, but uh, namely elected officials, faith leaders, immigrant rights leaders are gathering to show their support for all of those individuals who face imminent detention, deportation, or just the more quotidian uncertainty of checking in in this building right here across the street, which is a process of Um, intense supervision that ICE engages in with with thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people across the United States.
2: We're coming together here, everywhere.
0: Melissa Mark-Viverito, Speaker of the New York City City Council.
2: And making sure that we resist, that we defy, that we defend, and that we stand in solidarity, right? We have to stand in solidarity. So we are here as Latinos, as Muslims, as LGBT, as immigrants as human beings, yes. right, to say that we are united and we will defy and we will not stay silent. Keep
4: on walking, keep on talking, on the freedom land.
0: Reverend Juan Carlos Ruiz, co-founder, New Sanctuary Coalition.
5: People come with a lot of fear many times because this is their place where they can be taken in and disappear.
0: Dr. Donna Schaper, senior minister, Judson Memorial Church, and co-founder of the New Sanctuary Coalition.
1: We do want the federal plaza to become a place that welcomes immigrants and takes care of immigrants and appreciates the extraordinary gifts of immigrants. So we've been doing the Jericho Walk every Thursday. It's a silent walk, and we do
5: it around federal plaza wearing white robes and praying. What's
1: really exciting about May Day is because it is a kind of day of worker solidarity,
0: Agunda Okayo of Hater Free New York City.
1: Workers are all people. You know, we're from all different kind of class levels and cultural backgrounds and genders and all that type of thing. So. What's super exciting is that you'll see groups that are women of color-led, groups that are uh, working for immigrant rights, undocumented workers. You'll see groups that are working for women's rights, reproductive rights. Um, There's going to be a lot of different groups coming together at the grassroots level who are committed to a more intersectional, multiracial, non-hierarchical approach to social justice movement
0: building.
3: May 1st seems to be a all hands on deck sort of moment.
0: Dayas Marquez, volunteer organizer with Cosecha.
3: A lot of different movements are coming together. Um, Labor unions are coming together all in the name of immigration reform, um, or to at least show the faces of people who are most vulnerable under Trump administration. Hopefully when people are in the streets or see people in the streets or see how many businesses are closed and people don't go to work, I'm just hoping that we can feel empowered um, and want to continue fighting in the long run.
0: Claude S. Copeland Jr., member and co-chair Iraq Veterans Against the War.
4: The legwork's being done, but also just making sure that to continue to supplant like the needed funds to keep these kind of actions up after May 1st. That's just setting the stage to kick off more actions and and hopefully like just really positive changes around local policies or national policies. There's light in the in the darkness, so to speak. I think it's just gonna get brighter the more we work together. Agunda
1: Okayo of Hater Free New York City. Not only can people come together and share best practices across our grassroots organizations or campaigns but also for us to get together and illustrate in a very clear way that there is a kind of working movement. There's a poor people's movement. There's a working class movement. There's a uh, women of color movement. And we can work together because a lot of our interests are similar. Uh, So it's about creating that patchwork of organizations, but also about recognizing that that spirit of what Martin Luther King was talking about, about a poor people's movement, it isn't dead. It's very much alive.
2: Elizabeth Yampierre,
0: Pierre, executive director of Uprose.
2: I wake up every day thinking about uh, some of the challenges, and I think what gives me hope is really how people have shown up. Um, that that people are saying no, uh, that people are challenging some of the traditional ways that they have of working with each other, uh, trying to figure out how to collaborate better. Um, that the conversations that was so hard in the past about you know, the big greens versus the grassroots and how do you share power and resources, that people are really being more intentional about those conversations because they realize that there's so much at stake. Um, and um, I think that it is an opportunity for people to bring out their best selves and to really challenge uh, both how you share resources and power. Um, there was for, and has always been, this sort of top-down approach to thinking about how you resolve community problems and this idea that, you know, in, in this, this belief in contemporary missionaries or that other people know what's better for communities of color than we do for ourselves. And I think that this is that moment that, um, that folks realize that the answers are not only local, but that uh, it's important to invest in the capacity of the grassroots organizations. What is necessary is that we build alignment, and I think that this is that moment for building that kind of alignment. And I'm seeing that happen, and, and that's that's exciting and necessary. And I hope that as we navigate our way through this, uh, that it will be that it will redefine how people work with each other.
0: Thanks for listening to our special May Day report, presenting a map for what large-scale cross-movement collaboration looks like. The show followed organizers, including Agunda Okayo of Hater Free New York, Dias Marquez of Cosecha, Elizabeth Yampierre of Uprose, and Claude S. Copeland of the Iraq Veterans Against the War Organization. You're listening to The Laura Flanders Show. We're also a TV program. Check it out at lauraflanders.com. The show's produced by yours truly with supervising producer Anna Barsan and our team, Monica Mohapatra, Natasha Elena Ullman, Jeannie Hopper, Danica D'Souza, Anna Barsan, Emily Allen, Charlotte Prager, and Diego Romero Montiel. The music featured throughout this week's show came by way of the Free Music Archive and a special mix by Jeannie Hopper. For more information, go to lauraflanders.com and write to me. That's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at lauraflanders.com. Tell me what you think the laura flanders show is made possible by the novo foundation and listeners like you thank you for your ongoing support and thanks for listening closing out this program more from our featured guests and information on how you can connect and get involved
3: you can strike out may 1st you can do the local organizing but if you want to learn more you can go to lawelga.com, so l-a-h-u-e-l-g-a or text Welga to 41411. If anybody's interested in
5: joining Sanctuary Hood and organizing teams to walk through your own neighborhood, um, just send an email to info at newsanctuarynyc.org.
2: The work of UPROSE is important because it's a a community organization that has a lot of history and deep roots. It's an anchor of resistance. Uh, We work at the intersection of racial justice and climate change. Uh, We have existed in the midst of all of the isms all of our life and had to address them uh, from the perspective of organizing, building community power, uh, leveling the playing field. And so all of those things that we're rooted in right now are being threatened.
1: We're focusing uh, on trying to figure out different ways to measure our success and then also connect what we're doing with this boycott to that longer, beyond the moment, beyond this second, beyond the reaction kind of uh, approach. Uh, So we're figuring out as we go and we want people to kind of work with us. Uh, So it's really important for people to come uh, to our website, uh, which is haterfreenyc.com. You can just go ahead and click a tab that says join the action. And then that way you're part of a, a mailing list uh, where we'll consistently be updating you about what is the next target, um, what our next approach is, if there's a rally that we're attending, if there's an action that we're getting involved in, if there's a protest going on. That's like a very clear way for people to stay connected.
4: You know, after May 1st, is just like, that's just like setting the stage to kick off more, you know, actions, and, and hopefully like just really positive changes, you know, around like local policies or national policies. Um, and, you know, supporting like indigenous communities uh, in their struggle frontline communities and, and other things that, you know, I guess can't even really be imagined now because, you know, we're, we're really in just like a moment that we haven't seen.